The way the details and the plot unfold are definitely in the hands of a skillful embroiderer. Night after night, Scheherazade stayed alive and kept her head on her shoulders. At last, after 1,001 nights had gone by, the king turned to her and said, Scheherazade, I shall never grow tired of you, and you shall be my queen for as long as we both shall live. There's something irresistible about the Arabian Nights. It's not just the narrative structure, the stories within stories, or the triumph of Scheherazade in a man's world. It's this whole fantastic universe. I mean, think about it. Centuries before Harry Potter gave us flying cars and floating chandeliers, these were stories packed full of magic. The jinn, you know, who are the genies who drive the action and who are good and bad. They can go both ways, so they're wonderfully unpredictable. The flying carpet, all the enchanted objects, all this landscape of possibilities opened up doors for people to imagine other worlds. Well, let's talk a little bit about the cosmology of the Arabian Nights, the jinn. We now often refer to these characters as genies. What role do they play in these stories? They're rather like our fairies. So whereas we think of as fairies as part of the past, the genies and the jinn of the nights are canonical. They're in the Quran. They're made of shimmering fire or they're made of water. I mean, they're elemental. They have charge of the wind. They're kind of airy beings. And one of their tasks in the legends and the mythology of Islam is that they carry Solomon through the air on his throne. Solomon is the all-wise king who presides over this world. Yes, yes. Solomon is just like the Solomon in the Bible, except he's got more extraordinary stories attached to him in the Arabian Nights. He's the master of the jinn. And because, and the disobedient jinn, the ones who refuse to acknowledge the truth of Allah after the revelation of the Prophet, and the way they're punished is that Solomon shuts them up in copper bottles and tosses them into the depths of the ocean. And that, as you will remember, is the beginning of the famous scene when the fisherman fishes up one of these copper bottles and it's all covered in barnacles and rust. And he opens it and out swarms this huge pillar of fire, which is the imprisoned genie, and he will give the fisherman everything he wants. So what'll it be, master? <laughs> You're gonna grant me any three wishes I want, right? Uh, almost. There are a few uh, provisos, a, a couple of quid pro quos. <laughs> like? Uh, rule number one, I can't kill anybody. <laughs> yeah, so don't ask. Uh, rule number two, I can't make anybody fall in love with anybody else. <laughs> you little punum there. Over the last decade, the Arabian Nights have become the subject of intense scholarly interest. There's no better example of how Middle Eastern culture was absorbed by Europeans and how it all got mixed up together to create something new. In fact, Shebnam Rezai says the title of these stories, The Arabian Nights, is actually misleading. The original tales are called A Thousand and One Nights. And what happened was when they were first brought over to Europe for the first time in the 18th century, the French translators wanted to make it sound exotic. So they called it the Arabian Nights because it was conjuring up Arabia and, you know, maybe women in belly dancing outfits and hookah pipes. 
In fact, in Persian and in Arabic and in any other language, if you come across the works, they are called 1001 Nights. And the reason 1001 Nights is so much more appropriate is because the book started out in Persia, but then the Arab scholars added to it, Indians, Chinese, the most famous stories, Aladdin, Alibaba, and Sinbad, were added in France by the translators. Well, that's interesting. So those were not originally stories that came out of Iran? I mean, the, the most famous ones, right. Sinbad? Uh, yeah, so so in 18th century France, there was a, a writer and a publisher who became very successful. He was publishing one story a day, and he had this little kiosk, and people would line up around the corner to buy these stories from him. And at the time, there were only 283 stories. So by the time the 284th day came along and he'd run out of stories, he panicked and went, went to the writer and said, I don't have any more stories to sell. And the writer said, well, that's it. I've translated everything. He said, well, guess what? You're going to have to write a couple more for me because <laughs> these are selling like hotcakes. Huh. And that's what happened. So here's the most fascinating part of the whole story. The reason we know the Arabian Nights, or if you prefer, a thousand and one nights, the reason they're now part of the canon of world literature is because Europeans fell in love with them. In fact, added to them.